So let's, let's unpack this. It starts with the word, therefore, my beloved. So whenever we see the word, therefore, the author, Paul, wants us to look at what went before in the verse. And if you remember from last week, uh, Rochelle looked at Christ's incredible um, expression of humility. And Paul, in chapter 2, verse Two says, have the same mindset as Christ. And so what went before was this uh, exhortation, encouragement from Paul to say, hey, church in Philippi, look at Christ. Look at what Christ modeled and expressed. Look at the phenomenal example that Christ is. Therefore, be like Christ. Look at how he didn't serve his own interests. Look at how he chose humility. Look at how Jesus chose servanthood. Look at how he uh, chose sacrifice. And it says in verse two, uh, chapter two, chapter two and verse two, have the same mindset among you as Christ did. So therefore, follow Christ, imitate Christ, be like Christ, serve Christ, obey Christ. And Paul gives a really huge incentive and encouragement to be like Christ. He says, look at the way Jesus laid his life down. Look at the way Jesus was then exalted by the Father. Look at what amazing things happen. And so this verse of work out your salvation with fear and trembling is a verse of encouragement saying, therefore, be like Christ. There's a huge motivation and encouragement to be like Jesus, because the way of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the way Jesus served the interests of others actually was crucial to his being exalted. And I want to say that for us believers, there is a exaltation. There's an exaltation that's coming to us both I believe ultimately when the day of Christ happens, which Paul goes on to talk about, but also there's a exaltation that happens even in this life, that the way of servanthood, the way of laying your life down, the way of humility is a route to internal freedom and a route actually to elevation too. Although we don't humble ourselves to be elevated, we humble ourselves to serve the interests of others. And this verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling then. Sometimes when we've read a verse like work out your salvation with fear and trembling, we can come to some faulty and wrong conclusions. This verse is not talking about getting saved. We were reminded in Breaking Bread that the wages of sin is actually death. That's why God had to die to pay our debt, to pay our wages, to take our consequences. God wasn't looking for us to make some moral improvements, to work out our salvation and, and change ourselves by increment to increment. We actually deserve to die. The wages of sin is death and Jesus died in our place. Also, we were reminded earlier on that we were given the rights of sonship as a gift. Working out your salvation isn't a process of becoming more worthy or acceptable to God before God by changing your behaviour. Worthiness, acceptability, being justified, being loved, being included is a gift. 
nor is work out your salvation a verse about um, the fear of losing it, that if you're not working it out, if you're not improving and growing, then you are in danger of losing it. No, this verse is not really about getting saved. This verse is about what happens once you've received the gift of salvation. It's a verse that's saying this, that we are to work out with fear and trembling, having the same mindset as Christ Jesus as a community. That the author is saying, be energetic, be passionate, be focused in living a life that reflects the life that Christ lived. In other words, this is a working out your apprenticeship. This is a working out your following of Jesus. This is a working out having the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And again, that mindset is serving the interests of others, cho choosing humility, choosing servanthood, choosing sacrifice. And so Paul is saying, work that out, press into that, be energetic as servants of Christ. And then we might think, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot of willpower. How on earth can you do that? That sounds too hard to have the same mindset of Christ. And then he goes on to say, no, no, it's not too hard for it is God who works in you to both will and to do. He is working in you. So there's a promise, have the same mind as Christ, think about the interests of others, take the posture of a servant, take the posture of sacrifice. How? There's power. There's a promise that this is the route to uh, a, a form of exhortation. This is the route to fulfillment. This is a route to the body of Christ being mature. And there's also power that God makes it possible himself for us to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. God is going to participate. So here's an illustration to maybe help us understand that I heard this week. Say, as a dad, I say to my daughter, daughters, I'm taking you to see your favorite band. And I've got tickets for you to go and see your favorite band. I might say to them, in order for you to go to the concert, you'll need to get ready. And I'm going to supply you with the band T-shirt, but you're going to need to put it on. You're going to need to be ready for 7.30. And then they might say, I don't have the money for a ticket or I don't know how to get to the concert. And then we say, don't worry, we're buying the ticket and we're going to arrange for you to get there and we'll pick you up after. So the promise is ticket to a concert and the provision is we're going to take you there. We're going to we're going to pick you up. Your part to work out is you get yourself ready, put the band T-shirt on, be ready for 730. So all the power, the provision is from the mum or the dad. The bit of you work it out is you get dressed, you be ready for 730. So God is saying, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus in your community, work that out, put on Christ, put off sin. And the power is God 
is going to work in your will to enable you to do the thing that you need to do in order to embrace the promise. Now, we tend to take this verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in your, your, your will in order that you're able to do. We tend to focus primarily this verse as an individualistic response. We tend to think there's all these individual believers working out their salvation, growing in Christ, sanctification and maturity. It's just me on my own. But we have to remember that the book of Philippians was a book written to a community in Philippi. So Paul, when he says this, he says, have the same mindset among you. But all the actions of thinking like Christ and working it out are actually community actions that Paul is writing to a family, he's writing to a church, he's writing to a community, and he's saying, Philippians, work this out. He says, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a community thing that we're citizens of heaven. He's saying church in Philippi represent God well. You're citizens of heaven. Live according to the outlook, behavior, priorities of heaven. Remember that Philippi was a Roman colony. In other words, everything that the city of Philippi did was like Rome. If you remember in week one, when Tim showed us the map of Philippi, you could see the Colosseum. They enjoyed the same entertainment as Rome. They had the same water system as Rome, the same values as Rome. Paul goes on in the verse and says it's a crooked and wicked place, Philippi. It was a tough place to be. It worshipped Caesar as Lord, like Rome. And Paul is saying you are citizens of heaven. Participate and uh, reflect heaven in the way you operate with one another. You are citizens of heaven. Be an outpost of heaven in Philippi. This is all about community. So, each of us come to Jesus one by one. You've got your own story. You've got your own moment where you came to Christ. It might have been in a, mo in a, in a meeting and you heard someone invite you to know Jesus. It might have been that you, as some of you here on this call, you might have decided I'm going to read the Bible and you met Christ in reading the scriptures. Other of you might have had a family member who told you about Jesus and you came to faith, faith and knowledge. It's a one by one individual story. Then we're given the privilege of being added to a family, to the church, to a community. So we become citizens of heaven. We become a family that is to reflect heaven like the city of Philippi reflect did Rome were to live according to the values of heaven, the culture of heaven, the outlook of heaven, the priorities of heaven. And as we saw last week, the culture and priority of heaven is servanthood, sacrifice, humility, laying your life down, not, not grabbing at your rights in that sense. And then Paul says this as we do that. He says then in verse 14, do all things without grumbling. Again, a community thing. 
or questioning that you may be blameless. So it's a community that's blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So outreach, evangelism, glorifying God, being a city on a hill that can't be hidden as Jesus put it, being the light of the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus said to the church, that this is all a community thing. So as individuals, we work out our salvation. We, we might make choices to obey Christ, to honor Christ in humility, but then corporately in a community, we shine out into the world. We work out discipleship together. So Paul is saying community of God in Philippi. And we could say if Paul was writing to CCK, he would say CCK in southeast London. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling together. Why? Because Holy Spirit is present with you. He's working in your will. He's working in your doing. God is at work in you as a community. And so work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. That's the putting on the t-shirt to go to the concert. For God is at work in both your will, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's part. So God is at work in our will. God is at work in our thoughts. God is at work in our emotions. God is at work in our desires. God births things in us. He births his will in us. How does he birth his will in us? Paul says in, in, uh, in, in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, as we read in the Bible, as we're hearing the scriptures, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as we're worshipping and we hear his voice. God's birthing his word in us, he's working in our will, he's working in our desires, he's working in our dreams, he's in our, in our daytime, in our, in our desires. And then he's working in our doing so that we might have action, obedience and activity. So we might hear a, a, a preach about humility and it might, we, we begin to think, wow, God, the way to live the free life is to think more about the interests of others than my own personal interests, as we heard last week. And you might think, wow, that's an amazing, radical, wonderful, Christ-glorifying life. Why are you even thinking with any appetite and desire after that life? It's because God is working in your will. And then he's working in your energetic, faithful response, your doing. So surrendering to God's will, though, is a choice, like in that illustration that my daughters could hear about a concert, about a ticket, about a T-shirt. But if they didn't get ready and didn't get dressed with the T-shirt and weren't there at 7.30 to go, they're, they're not going to go to see the band. And that's like that with God. We can have these moments where Holy Spirit causes a resonance after Christ, a desire after Christ, a desire to lay our life down for the gospel and the purposes of Jesus. But then 
There's a working it out. There's a choice. There's a moment of surrender. So I can hear multitudes of glorious invitations of God working in my will. But if I never obey, never surrender, then the word, as it were, becomes a seed on bad soil. Paul is saying that God's not doing magic in our will. There has to be that conscious mental decision. Jesus, it says, didn't count equality with God. He, he laid down his rights. He chose the way of a servant. And there has to be that decision in our own heart to say, actually, I'm choosing the way of servanthood. I'm choosing the way of sacrifice. I'm choosing the way of laying my life down. I'm choosing to give myself for the benefit of others so that we as a community can shine as lights in a crooked and wicked generation. That's a mental choice. So Paul is saying there's a promise and there's power. So as we as a community choose to live a certain way, and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we enjoy a certain reward, which is we shine in the world. We're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. We're a light for others to see Christ. As I make it a decision to act on his will, it's not me gritting my teeth. There's power behind the decision. We're not alone, but we're not either passive or just waiting for God to do it. We're working it out. So Paul's expectation to any church would be this. You can live the radical life. You can give, live a fruitful gospel life. You can shine in any generation, whatever that generation thinks or believes. Paul is saying in Philippi, it was a wicked and crooked generation. It was a hard place to live. You could be imprisoned, executed, stoned for saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't Lord. It wasn't an easy place to be. It was an outpost of Rome. But Paul is saying you can shine in that place. Why is Paul so confident and expectant that any church can shine in any generation? He's saying because of God's empowerment. He supplies what's necessary for every individual believer to say yes to God. There is power to say yes, and there is power to shine. But it's in the moment we say, I'll put on the T-shirt. I'm going to be ready at the door at 730. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what I need to do. And then to finish, why this energetic passionate response. Everything Paul does is motivated to where the story is going. He says that you, that whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, there's a day coming. There's a day coming when just as Jesus had that day, as it were, where he's, he's chosen the way of sacrifice, he's chosen the way of humility, he's chosen the root of servanthood, he's laid his life down at the cross, he's not used the rights he had to exalt himself, and then it says he is now glorified, he's the name above every name, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's 
our story in a, in a very true sense. There's a day of Christ coming, a day of vindication, a day where we'll be with myriads and myriads and myriads of saints who have loved God, who have laid their lives down, who are now before the throne of grace in the new heaven and new earth. There's a day coming. And Paul says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even as I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, also, you should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I'm in prison. I'm pouring my life out for the church. I'm laying it down. I might be executed to live as Christ, to die as gain. Why? It, it, I'm pouring it out because this is going somewhere. I've got an eternal reward. I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to get a well done, good and faithful servant. There are rewards stored up to me. I'm living for the day of Christ. And so I pour myself out for Christ. And so to conclude, the gospel is a glorious gospel of personal reconciliation to God. But it's more there's more to it. It's also being added to a glorious family where we get to work out loving one another in servanthood and sacrifice and humility. But there's more. It's not just for now. It's not just to feel good now and to feel supported now. There's a day of Christ coming. And so each of us can say, Jesus, I choose to be a sacrificial offering poured out for you to be motivated that this is all for your glory and this is all heading somewhere. There's a magnificent ultimate exaltation of the church that's coming, but also there's many exaltations that come as we go low and serve for your glory.